on this episode of the C4SO podcast. One of his contributions to us in Christian spirituality is that he actually was very reticent to use the word spirituality. He thought that whenever spiritual was used as an adjective, it always instinctively made it as something sub, as opposed mm-hmm. to a way of describing yeah. the whole reality. Yeah. It's lived. It's everything, you know? And, and yeah, yet I totally. understand when something's everything, it's nothing, right? I mean, I get, I get that tension, but I just feel like we are somehow conditioned to think of things in short time frames with yeah. measurable results. Right. And there's just very little about the kingdom of God, according to the Gospels, that works that way. Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the C4SO, C4SO podcast. Again, I'm glad we're only seeing ourselves on camera today. Why is that? Well, I kind of I got a little nasally thing going. I think it's just <laughs> I think it's just winter allergies. Somebody taught me the other day oh. that actually you can have worse allergies in the winter because of of uh, heating and air conditioning changes. Oh, so, that makes you know, sense. Just sounding a little nasally. Oh man. Well, we're glad you made it through. Amen. <laughs> well, yes, we're we're so glad that you were able to come through for today's episode with Wynn Collier. He is really interesting because he did the uh, biography for Eugene Peterson, the Eugene yeah. Peterson. So we talk a lot about his influence on Christian spirituality. Yep. Anytime we're talking about Eugene's insights to what it means to follow Jesus and to do so in the church is it's always really moving to me. So please enjoy our conversation with Wynn Collier as he helps us look at discipleship to Jesus through the eyes and work of Eugene Peterson. Hey, Wynn Collier, it's great to uh, see you on my screen today. Thank you for asking me to be with you. It's always good to, to talk with you. Because we don't know each other that well. I, I It piqued my interest uh, that you have a kind of an Amish Mennonite background. So first, just share that with us for a bit. That's actually quite hilarious. That that um <laughs> that proves that I have not written my website very well because that was intended to actually be a joke. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, oh no my way. gosh! I I read it totally seriously, and I'm thinking I didn't know this about Win. Yeah. I need to ask him about it. I have got to oh, rewrite funny. that. Um, that's so funny. It, it's tied to I grew up. My dad was a traveling evangelist. Yeah, and so we had a fifth wheel travel trailer. Yeah, and we it was built in uh, Amish Mennonite country, a country oh, area. Okay. It was, so we would go there regularly to have things done to oh. our trailer. And so okay. I've kind of claimed, yeah, but that was that was a bad attempt at humor. No, that is it's so it, funny. Actually, it still works because it's very if, effective. Yeah, <laughs> if if you were in there, if you were in their neighborhood that frequently, Amish Mennonite spirituality is so foreign to most Protestants in general. Mm-hmm. Well, probably to the whole church. Certainly to Protestants, and even maybe no cert- more certainly to uh, evangelical Protestants, give us still just either a, a fun, quaint, or meaningful takeaway that you had from your experiences with Amish or Mennonite people. Well, I was pretty young, so it was. I'm not sure how much I actually understood it. It was something I was more picking up, just sort of uh, in yeah. the air, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm really honest about it, one of the first things is like. Um, the food. I mean, I just oh, love okay. the food. But I do think, sort of later in my life, um, being drawn to um, so my doctoral work was in Wendell Berry's fiction. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and then 
um, some of what I think we'll chat a little bit about today of uh, writing Eugene Peterson's biography. I do yeah. think there's a like a thread there yeah. of this way of honoring the particularities of your life, of recognizing that the story that you're living doesn't have to be conformed to the story at large. Mm. There's a deep sense of family, of history. Yeah, yeah. There's a at its best, there's a profound sense of joy, um, mm, yeah. of unclutteredness. Um, I mean, that way of life can also be idealized in a way that's not very helpful. But I yeah. think the gift they have to offer us is a sense of this world really has a lot of beauty and goodness if we'll receive it. Yeah, yeah, so great. You give me a bit of a flashback when I was reading your bio in preparation for this and um, realizing, I think for the first time, the work that you had done on Barry. It made me this, you'll laugh at this, when one of the times I was at the Peterson house sitting on Eugene's porch, I don't remember what brought us to this, but I remember Eugene asking me what kind of fiction I read. And it was one of those moments where I thought, oh, darn, I don't read any fiction. (laughs) So I said to Eugene, I don't really read much fiction. I never have. And, you know, on the one hand, he was the kindest, gentlest soul ever, but he could also get this look on his face like, Mm. what? Like this sort of incredulous, like, what? What And I said, I'm sorry. It's just never been a part of my life. And I think I admitted that I've not even read the Chronicles of Narnia or something. He was shaking his head like, oh, "Oh, this this is my worst mentee ever. Um, but he, you haven't but he, read the Chronicles of Narnia? Oh no, I'm terrible. Um, That's I went to, crazy. I know. I went to see um, the movie about the rings. What's that? Uh, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Yes. And, oh no! And we All right, see for us. Oh, you heard it first. <laughs> we, we walked out of the theater. My kids asked me what I thought, and I said that's kind of a long walk with a lot of fighting. <laughs> so, oh my it, god, it, it's a joke in our house now. That I'm probably telling you a story that I don't know how old it is. It's got to be 15 or 20 years old. But what made me think of it is Eugene said, you got to start with Wendell Berry. Just start Mm -hmm. there. It's an easy access point. And really, Eugene got me reading fiction. So over the last 15 years, I actually have started to read a lot of fiction. And I'll get to the Chronicles. I I promise, Mickey, I'll get there so that you don't reject me. (laughs) (laughs) So, Wynn, how did you get to know Eugene? And not only just get to know him, but as somebody who's directing the, the Peterson Center, how did you come to both know him as a person and in a sense, love his life's work. We were in Colorado. I had um, left the first church I was at out of seminary and it was a real brutal experience. I didn't know what the word narcissist meant then. And then later Mm. realized, Oh, that's, that's who I was working for. our Mm. pastor. Um, Mm -hmm. So we went to the Colorado in some ways to, for me to recalibrate, but also for my wife to go to grad school and I became a bivocational pastor at a small church that had had like two or three splits. They were barely mm. hanging on. I was mm. the only pastor they could afford. And mm. um, about six weeks in, one of the elders of that church came up to me afterwards and handed me a book and said, Hey, Wen, I think you'll really enjoy this book. And what I realized later is he meant, hey, when I think you really need this book. And <laughs> <laughs> he handed me Eugene's Working the Angles, The Shape oh, yeah. of Pastoral Integrity. Yeah. And I went home that afternoon. And I'd grown up, you know, in the church. My dad was a pastor, went to seminary. Um, and I just think I really, for whatever reason, I I didn't know the first thing about what it actually meant to be a pastor. Yeah. And 
I read, you know, I was in the second paragraph and it just, something inside me opened mm-hmm. up. And, um, soon after that I was writing my first book and it was with one of Eugene's publishers. And I talked one of their editors into giving me his address and I started writing him letters. Okay. Mm. And so he wrote me back and I, I thought at the time I was something really special. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember you know, having that same feeling. <laughs> 15 or 20 I years later. Letter. I kept it as like a Memento. Oh, I have, oh, for sure. I yeah. still have mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later, I've, I have literally thousands and thousands of letters in my basement as I'm doing the research that I thought, yeah. man, <laughs> yeah. there were so many of us that felt this way. Um, but that's how it started. And then visiting a couple times and then yeah. in a much deeper relationship as I began to write the, the biography. Thinking again of your early days of connecting with Eugene, or maybe even if you go back to first reading, working the angles, what was that kind of first moment where you thought, wow, Eugene has a really particular take on things, a really unique voice that grabbed you? What was it about? I want to say almost his tone. There was something about, obviously he had great ideas and was a great writer. You can tell I'm thinking out loud here, but Mm -hmm. I I often felt grabbed by the tone, the perspective, Mm -hmm. something like that. What grabbed you? Part of it was the gravity of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I grew up in a world that was, um, took God very seriously, but there wasn't a lot of humanness <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I think I meandered and found my way into a world that um, thought a lot about humanity, but didn't really mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. a deep sense of God. Mm. Yeah. And, and when I read Eugene, I think for the first time it really landed on me that this is holy work. Yeah. That mm. God, um, God is the the deep truth of reality, and as a pastor, I get to echo this story. And I think it, I've wondered. Many people ask me, like, how you know, how did you know you were called to the ministry? And I actually resisted it for a long time because my dad was a pastor, and in that world, it was expected that I was supposed to be a pastor, yeah. and so mm-hmm. I resisted it. Yeah. Um, and yet, there's something that I just could never walk away from it. And I think as I was reading Eugene, you know, he has this line where he says, um, "A pastor's job." is to stand in the middle of the world and yeah. speak one word, God. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And when I read that, it was like he gave me language for something mm. that was in my heart, which was this is the story of our hope. Um, all the brokenness that I feel in the world, all of the brokenness I see in my own heart, um, I, I can't fix it, but I can tell a story of the God who has fixed it and who is fixing yeah, it. Amen. And so I think it was that, that gravity. And then I think it was the, uh, uh, like a hopeful belligerence, mm. um, against the, um, demeaning, uh, desacralizing, uh, forces, I think in the American church at large, he wasn't, overly angry. He wasn't on a tirade. He wasn't no. trying to start a movement, right? Yeah. but he saw trouble and he was going to name it. And I think yeah. I, I, I said that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hearing you talk yeah. reminds me that there were very few of any wasted words in Eugene's writing. And I remember him one day sort of teaching me about writing, just saying, Todd, nouns and verbs, nouns and verbs, just 
You know, there, it gave his writing, I think because his thinking had that kind of concreteness, it gave his writing a depth that there mm. was, there are very few sentences yeah. with any fluff anywhere. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that's mm. right. So good. Well, as Bishop Todd mentioned, you know, we, this is a part of our Ordinary Time series. And so for those who are maybe unfamiliar or who are just now starting to understand or dive deeply into the Anglican tradition or uh, the church calendar, but ordinary time is a time where we take the simple, we take the regular uh, mundane of life, but we make it meaningful, right? We spend time uh, thinking about discipleship, spiritual growth. Uh, this this ordinary time is meant to signify the slow and steady growth uh, of us in the image of Christ, right? And so this will happen again later in the year um, for a pretty extended period of time. And, you know, we're meant to grow uh, and grow into the image of Christ. And so this conversation is in light of that. And so when, based off of your work and and based off of your experience uh, with Eugene's work, what would you say was his biggest contribution to the slow and steady growth of Christian spirituality? I know there's a lot to choose from, but what would you say are some of the biggest contributions of his for us? Yeah. I mean, I think that word slow is is the best place to start because mm. I've never been around someone who was more deliberate. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been with some people who were just slow and it just kind of felt like just a personality thing and it can yeah. even be a little annoying because it didn't mm-hmm. feel intentional. But with mm-hmm. him, it was like, like you would come into his, uh, I don't know, Todd, Todd, if you had this experience, but um, it may be different because I was younger when I came in and I had, it was intimidating and, um, but I would have all this anxiety. I would, I would have um, all these questions, and then you would, you could sort of enter he and Jan's world, and like thirty minutes later, you realize I don't feel nearly as anxious as I did yeah. when mm. I walked in, yeah. and I'm not a hundred percent sure I even remember what that burning question was mm. that I had to have an answer to, mm. because you were you were invited into their reality, and and so they had the kind of hospitality that didn't order itself around the guests, which can sometimes actually has great intentions, but can be inhospitable because you start mm-hmm. feeling like everybody's yeah. maneuver. And, and Jan and Jean were like, this is what we do. This is mm-hmm. when we pray. This is when we nap. Yeah. This is when we cook. You know, you're, you're welcome to join us in that. Yeah. And so that kind of slowness is, you know, works with the reality of Sabbath and that it's this regular uh, rhythm of life that begins to insist that the story of Jesus Christ, the story of the Trinity, that is the truest story in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I can actually yeah. live out of that place. I don't have to live in a way that's trying to fit that in to my anxieties and pressures and fears and addictions and whatever. Um, but that there is actually a way of being human that that a- allows me to live in space as a human, that's um, really reorienting to how mm. I experience the world. And so, and then everything that he did from there was, it was always about particular. I love that you said nouns and verbs, nouns and verbs, like concrete. Yeah. His thing about spirituality, his definition of um, uh, spirituality was everything in the Bible can be lived. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. that concrete. That comes through the message several yeah. times. That's right. Yeah. Livable, words like livable. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's, that's, uh, I think that's touching at the heart of what he offered to us over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good observation win because I, I can't remember how much you were ever around Dallas, but you had a very similar thing in Dallas where they just seemed very grounded. Like the slowness didn't seem to be the thing. It seemed to be like the manifestation of some deeper thing. Mm-hmm. But like you like said, a non-anxious presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Like you say, it was completely unfeigned. Mm-hmm. They, it was just like who they were. Like it came from this depth of, of spirituality that, um, you're right. It, it, it was beautiful because yeah. it made space. Like it wasn't like, like so holy that I can't get near it. It was simultaneously holy and hospitable and space making. And yeah, I mean, the first times that I started to, to spend extended times with him and, you know, when we would just go up to his study, sit down for conversation, it would be really awkward for me, you know, because I like to think that I'm quiet um, interior and that I don't have to fill up space, but I realized that's not, it's <laughs> not necessarily the case. And there would, you know, there'd be these long, like five minute gaps. And I would, I would start to scramble internally yeah. mm-hmm. and even come up with something to say Yeah. Right? until, you know, an hour later, a day later, I would realize I can just let that go. Like, yeah. like somehow yeah. just his quiet, simple presence. And it, yeah, it was, he was very present. That's an important yes. word. Yes. Right. It, taught me how to be myself and you know so as that later it would be the most natural thing just to sit there and quiet look out Mm -hmm. the window and when something needed to be said and when it rose up yep it would get said but if not then silence was a gift okay so if we think that one of eugene's big obviously this can't be exhaustive in a short podcast but that one of his big contributions to discipleship was to underscore and to lift up notions of patience and the, the, you know, the patient ferment of God to quote that book, uh, you know, the slow, steady growth. When you think of Eugene picturing how pastors, local church pastors facilitate that work in the church and in their congregation, what do you think of when, as you, as Eugene's unique contribution to how pastors can come alongside that discipleship work? I feel like I've heard Eugene say several times, um, it's not something that you're going to be able very, very well or very often to address head on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't teach people into this. You're going to have to show them. You're going to yeah. have to begin to live yourself the way you believe Jesus is calling all of you to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that over time, and that's why he would say, this is going to, this is not easy work. And he said, this is why most of us, you know, take on another track or we, we give up because it could take decades (laughs) and we want something that at least works within the next six weeks. Yeah. You know, we're willing to give it six curriculum. Yeah. Right. So true. Mm -hmm. I mean, he used to say that the two, um, the two uh, biggest temptations for American pastors was ambition or boredom. Yeah. And that neither one of those, uh, work very well with slow and patient and steady. Yeah. So true. So that actually leads us into the next sort of question and talking point is, you know, when you think of working pastors, um, what do you think are some of the, the biggest current hurdles 
Gosh, that's a big question, and I'm not sure I have an answer big enough for that. But um, I, where I immediately go is the fracture in our own hearts. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I think many of us are trying to, with good intentions, but trying to cajole other people into a way of life that hasn't really captured our heart yet. And when I say that, I don't mean that as a, as a point of shame, like, oh, well, you need to double down and make sure you get it so that you can right, give it right. away. I, I mean something much deeper than that, that um, I'm not sure that our current environment, our current theological sort of arrangements, our ecclesial um, way of going about things or, or much anything about our current life actually fosters in us a deep and abiding sense of God's ongoing transformation. Because I think even discipleship, even, even as we resist this, and I know all of us here would, I, I find myself still somehow thinking of it almost instinctively in categories that make it another kind of product. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, and I almost wonder if, you know, this isn't a place where we do need some new language which is, I think, what Dallas and Eugene were both mm-hmm. trying to right. offer us. Right. Um, but I just think the fact that we are living within what sometimes operates like a machine and we're trying to um, become something different ourselves and then offer it to others. And so, yeah. um, I mean, I could, we could go on about all the things that ail us, but I, that's the starting place, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. I really do. <laughs> you know, it's... It's not that we don't believe this to be good or it's not that we don't uh, think it's important sometimes, but as working pastors or as working people in ministry, uh, how are we to, you know, how are we to include this in the way that we guide and disciple others when we ourselves are not um, caring for our own souls or how we are not uh, slowing down? to notice the work that God is doing in our own lives too, because of this machine that we built. We're busy all the time. And yeah, uh, so I definitely sense that. Okay. C4SO clergy. Let's be honest for just a second. When's the last time you stayed in a castle surrounded by jaw dropping scenery? Well, we're inviting you to do just that at the 2024 clergy retreat April 24 through 26 at Glen Erie Castle in Colorado Springs. Our retreat facilitators, Barbara Peacock and Steve Macchia, will lead us in a nourishing time of soul care, including healing prayer and reflection. There will also be good food, time for naps, hello, hiking in the Garden of the Gods, and lots of fellowship. Register today at c4so.org to join us for a beautiful, peaceful retreat with all of your C4SO friends and family. And I feel like, like I'm probably impeding into Bishop Hunter's territory here of what he teaches us all the time. But mm-hmm. um, I, f- I feel like um, even – what else can we do but use this language? But even sometimes the way we talk about discipleship treats, as it, treats it as if it is a subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's kind of like when Eugene – Eugene th- – one of his contributions to us in Christian spirituality is that he actually was very reticent to use the word spirituality. Yeah. He, he thought that whenever spiritual was used as an adjective, 
it always instinctively made it a, something sub as opposed mm. to a way of describing yeah. the whole reality. Yeah. It's lived. And I think as yeah. dis, in discipleship, we're kind of talking about the same thing. I mean, basically, we're just talking about someone who is being brought up into wholeness in Jesus Christ to be a mature, um, mature person in uh, being overtaken by the life of Christ. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and so it's everything, you know, and, and yeah, yet I totally. understand when something's everything, it's nothing, right? I mean, I get, I get that tension, but I just feel like um, pastors and those of us that we are pastor, those that we are pastoring, we are somehow conditioned to think of things in short time frames with yeah. measurable results. Right. And there's just very little about the kingdom of God, according to the gospels that works that way. Yeah. yeah. That's a good word. So when I want to see if we can offer a word of hope here, most of the people who listen to this podcast are Christian leaders of one sort or another. Um, And we, you know, we could engage in five minutes of hand wringing here about all the things that work against contemporary discipleship, you know, social media or political discourse and uh, economic strife and now wars and on and on and on all the things that we know that make contemporary discipleship difficult. Now, uh, that's been true in every age. It would have been true, you know, in the beginning of the mm-hmm. Industrial Revolution or whatever. But what I'm wondering if you see in your work today, could you name one or two opportunities that are particular opportunities to this moment mm-hmm. and, you know, that would help us get away from the kind of nonstop hand-wringing? Oh, yeah. I am, I'm deeply hopeful, mm-hmm. <laughs> profoundly hopeful. Um. Be, because Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, amen. Um, amen. And Jesus is Lord. And um, also, I think some of the hand wringing, while I, I I get it, is also um, I don't I don't not, sometimes I don't know where all of it comes from because it's not like discipleship prior to Instagram was doing that great. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, true. What I'm hopeful about, in real particular terms, is. I I don't think the church has ever been at its truest and its best when we have thought we had a pretty good handle on things. Mm. Um, I think the veneer is being stripped away. I think some of the comfort and ease and our delusions about control are being eviscerated. And I think there is something that is stirring that feels to me very much like the Spirit of God and I don't know where it goes. I don't know what it looks like. And I, I'm betting that most of our attempts at movements to try to rally it will uh, falter. Yeah. But I do deeply believe that there is a growing hunger for the radical presence of Jesus Christ in the world, for us to lay down our idols, to repent of our evils, to be transformed, to be the kind of people we long to be. Um, and that is precisely the environment where the kingdom of God breaks in. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. I think there could be a lot more pain between here and there, but yeah. mm-hmm. I'm hopeful about that. So when, you know, ordinary time is meant to signal normal Christian growth, why we've touched on this a little bit, but why does that seem so hard? So little achieved, you know, we're, we're working against some things, what would you say are some of those things we're working against? What or who are the foes? And and are there habits that need to be 
adjusted or dropped? Well, I think ordinary is hard in some ways because it just goes against the American project. We mm. are, mm-hmm. we're big people who do big things. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that a lot of times. I mean, sure, I, sure. I, I, I'm really glad, uh, you know, a new drug um, came out last year that has the chance to like be life changing for uh, schizophrenics. Yeah. You know, people who struggle with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that. You know, we do big things and big mm-hmm. projects and we go to the moon. Yeah. Um, we did go to the moon, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was on my TV screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I think we could just plainly say the way of America is not the way of the kingdom of God. And some adjustments radically have to be reformed for us to think about what does it mean to to live well, to be well. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, there's habits that have to be shaped, but there, I could say absolutely nothing that would be new to any of us. Um, it's, it's the, it's the basics. <laughs> it's worship and prayer. It's mm. Sabbath and generosity and friendship. It's allowing the spirit to transform in our lives and bring about the fruit that is going to over a lifetime, shape us into be people who are living the life of Jesus. And so um, I think the problem is is actually the fact that myself and probably others who even hear me say those words, as the moment they come out of my mouth, we just start to tune out. Yeah. Because we're conditioned to like, oh, no, it's got to be something else. We need something mm. more. We, we need that yeah. hit of adrenaline. Uh, we need that next program, that next sort of like – phrase that's going to ignite a movement you know we need the next leader a charismatic leader and um we don't we need jesus and so i i think um remembering our baptism yeah Mm, um, yeah. i could i could spend the rest of my life contemplating what does it mean that i have been baptized Mm. into jesus christ yeah yeah and what is the what are the implications of that for me and um it's beautiful. So, and I think as pastors, you know, we we love to please people. We love to succeed. We love to be mm. thought of well. Most of us have sort of like toned down the most radical excesses so that we don't we, – we come across as humble, you know, and we we know the right w- w- way to be. But inside still churns this sense of like I, I have to achieve. I have to be thought of as mm. important. I have to have a platform, you know, and – I think those things have to die. They have to die. Right. Um, and and we need people in our lives who believe that with us and believe that alongside us and will walk with us toward that death. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Amen. So when given this topic of ordinary time and, you know, discipleship, if you were a working pastor and wanted to know Eugene's take on um, how to be kind of a disciple-making pastor what's the article or i'm kind of putting you on the spot here as the outside of the peterson family the peterson expert um what's the article or series of articles or book that you would point people to if if they want an orientation to eugene's understanding of how pastors are disciple makers this this book might not hit it quite as head-on as someone might want but i think uh the jesus way yeah yeah there's something revelatory about that book that I think still hasn't quite 
In fact, that whole five-volume uh, spiritual theology yeah. that he sort of concluded with, I'm not sure that's really detonated yet. Yeah. And the Jesus way was very – so he had a couple friends who thought he was a little too coy and mm. didn't name the idols within the uh, sort of American church machine well enough. I see. And um, the Jesus way was his response to that. And it was deep in him, this – pervasive idea that the way you do something is just as important yes. as yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that idea has made its way into discipleship in the American church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you cannot teach people how to be slow and listeners and patient and prayerful in a way that is not slow and patient and listening and right. prayerful. And and so I think our ways and our means are usually at odds with one another. And I yeah. think I think the Jesus way tells us, no, if we're going to do Jesus stuff, we have to do it the Jesus way. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right about detonating because I don't know how many years ago that book came out, seven, eight years ago, I can't remember. But I remember reading it and loving it um, for the reasons you're saying, but I feel like I, now I need to go pick it up and read it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the reasons I was excited to talk to you today when when I knew we were going to be able to, one of the things that popped into my mind is the kind of thing I'd ask you if we were just having lunch. Um, it's just remarkable to me how fast time flies. I couldn't, can't believe Eugene's been gone now for five years. But I would have wanted to ask you, and I do want to ask you now, what's in the air today for pastors that you think Eugene would have had important ideas to offer? Like, is there anything different today f- you know, five years since his passing or even 10 years ago that you think, yeah, I think Eugene would have had an interesting take on X. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think it's some of the things toward the end of his life he was naming, but um, have only been exploded since Mm -hmm. then. And as you know, it's probably something he wouldn't have written directly about in Christian Century or Christian Today. Or, you know, it's something that he would have talked about with you on his porch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But two things just come to mind and, you know, an hour from now, probably other things will come to mind. But at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, I think he would have, he would have been profoundly disturbed about Christian nationalism. Yeah. I, I think he just, um, he would have had absolutely no idea how, that idea became once again so pervasive. Um, and I think on the flip, maybe the flip side, the constant attempts to remake the church mm. um, as if, I mean, it's like we can't barely get over lampooning the last big idea that's gone bust before we subtly start the next one. And I, and this is not something – I mean this is something that the full spectrum of the church does <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. from you know the, the, the hard right to um, those who just really love to think about um, the way the church is going to start a new age. You know, for the yeah. – it, it's this constant um, getting away from the slow and the simple and the person in front of you and the gospel and the trinity mm. <laughs> and baptism and prayer and – um, and I'm not trying to be simplistic, and he certainly would not have been simplistic, yeah. but there is something in the water 
in the air. There's something about this impulse we have that um, we can't seem to stick for any length of time with the basic, beautiful reality that God's handed to us, and we always think we can do it better. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I certainly don't have any business speaking for Eugene, and he, he could have named lots of social, historical antecedents and stuff for Christian nationalism. But I think given the tone of our conversation today, when it's the antithesis of um, the slow, steady trust, it's controlling, it's anxious, it's, it's in its spirit, regardless of how he might have teased it out philosophically and theologically, it's almost 180, 180 degrees out from the spirit, the set of values and practices that he taught and modeled. If nothing else, it's that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's definitely, there's it's not humble. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not um, relinquishing power for others. It's harnessing power and control. Yeah. And, it's the, I mean, I really think um, in many ways, I mean, the Jesus way was that's – there was I think three to five things that were on his mind. And I think the – Christian nationalism is probably not the words he would have given it then, mm-hmm. but it was the seed of what now has become yeah. Christian nationalism. Right. Yeah. As we wrap up our time, we, we just really wanted to know um, – and because we're curious, is there anything that you're currently working on? Is there anything in particular that you're you're thinking about these days? What what's next from you? Yeah, well, thank you. That's a kind question. I mean, I'm always writing, so mm-hmm. there's always ideas, and uh, I want to return to fiction at some point. But I, cool. right now, um, yeah, it, I actually haven't figured out how to describe it yet, which means it hasn't landed into place where I'm ready to write it. But Mm -hmm. there's this line from a um, Hopkins poem where it says, uh, thou art lightning in love. Mm. There's something about God being both uh, electric love that is more stunning than we can possibly imagine. And at the same time, God is lightning and you don't play around with lightning. (laughs) Um, mm. kind of like maybe it's like that gravity we talked about mm. before. And I think there's something about, I don't think we've heard the love of God deep enough. And I think we have, many of us have mostly lost any sense of the, the holiness of God. Mm. And, and I think that those two things are both, they're not at odds. They're, they, they are one thing. And, and I think both of them are lost in our, in our heart and mind, um, because we don't, we don't hold them together. And so even as I'm talking, I'm realizing I'm, I'm dribbling out. And so I, I'm not ready to say yet, but I, that's where my mind's going. Cool. That's exciting. Now, we're already writing the title for you, Win Love and Lightning. Okay. Yeah. That is, that's exciting. Yeah. No, very cool. And then maybe one last thing that we'd love to have you do. Bishop Todd had the idea of, of maybe having you just conclude our time by saying a prayer for those who are leaders who are listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. who are considering the work of ordinary time that are considering all the things that we've just talked about. Um, yeah, and and maybe, that. yeah, if you could just do, say a, an encouraging prayer for those who are listening. Yes. Thank you for the invitation. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. God, thank you for this profound, hard, beautiful, work that you've called us to do. 
to stand in the middle of your world, your beautiful and troubled world, and to speak your name. God, I pray for those who today are walking alongside people who are brokenhearted, who are facing very real financial problems, people who feel like their families are shattered, whose kids are gone, marriages that are struggling. God, I pray that you would give these dear sisters and brothers your words, your presence, which your Holy Spirit be present to others through them. And may you renew their heart. May you give them hope. May they know that they are not alone, that the words they speak are not empty because the words are not theirs. God, I pray that the fiery love of God would fill their heart, would fill their body, would fill their imagination so that they would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love, that they would live from that settled place, renew their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Wynn Collier. We so appreciate you being a guest on the podcast today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a good conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.